you know, Stalin and the Nazis were these welfare state types. Uh, One of us is a stand-up comic. Can you tell who it is, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Peckerwood Brick. Um. <laughs> but the problem. <laughs> Oh my god, that's like, I could use that to teach the whole arc. Do we have any kind of archaeological evidence, any kind of, any kind of other corroborating evidence? This is a geek history of time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. I'm Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher, and I have one section of English. It's an orphan class that, yeah, uh, here in Northern California. Uh, and I have been a geek uh, at the very least since I was in the fourth grade, no, third grade, and got introduced to Advanced Dungeons & Dragons uh, at a weekend enrichment program uh, through my school. And you, sir. I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher and soon to be a social science teacher yet again, uh, returning back to the hallowed halls of ha sacred history, uh, teaching world history at the high school level. In Welcome addition, back to the club. Thank you. In addition to uh, the Latin program that I have been building for these 12 years, uh, and I have been a geek for uh, quite some time. Uh, one of my most recent favorite geek memories uh, is that uh, I my daughter is playing a wizard, mm -hmm. and they leveled in the middle of a dungeon. Okay. How is a wizard supposed to get new spells? Study, right? Uh, spontaneous nope. understanding. Okay. No, that's a sorcerer. Well, okay, so... so like, she's got to have yeah, new spells to put right, in her yeah, spell book and all, all that, right. so it's going to take time. So I basically aged some paper by spilling tea on it, ripped nice. it up a little bit, found a draconic alphabet. Very cool. Uh, printed out a riddle that essentially was... I, I did this for three different spells because she has three new spells at her next level. Um, they were all the things that she liked, but she had to decode the draconic alphabet... And then figure out what the riddle was saying. And if she could do that, she could have the spell. She nice. dove right in. And now she bought herself that green uh, journal that you see over there. Right next to the dragon writing oh, book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she now is keeping those spells in that book. Oh, very cool. So that's that's the geek that I am. I like it. Yeah. What you reading? I like it. I am reading uh, How the Scots Invented the Modern World. Um the story, the true story of how Western Europe's poorest nation created our world and everything in it by Arthur Herman. Uh, as I've said before, it sounds chauvinistic. It is a little bit chauvinistic. Uh, it is it is definitely a rah-rah a kind of argument, but it does make some compelling points about how the unique characteristics of uh, the Scottish Enlightenment uh, led to uh, uh, the advancement of other ideas politically uh, throughout Western Europe uh, and and thus to the modern world that we live in today. How about you? Uh, I am reading Livy. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, Just make me sound like an uneducated... Yeah, last Western time I was reading The Far Side, so history. I think you're fine. Yeah, well, yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm reading Livy, uh, who is a shitty historian. 
but for well, the time, all the Roman historians yeah. were for the time he was he was I mean, great. You know, they relied on Herodotus for God's sake. Uh huh. Yeah, he he went for Polybius. Yeah. Uh, okay. And yeah, he never actually visited the places he studied. No. Um, but fun thing about Livy was he, uh, he he loves giving this this two handed approach. He'll say, some people say the Heratii fought for Rome. Others say the Curiatii fought for Rome. Most of us think that it's the Heratii, so I'm going to go with that. Or some of my other favorite explanations. Some some people say that the father of these two offspring was Mars, having raped Rhea Silva. Other people say that she had sex with a guy, but she named Mars because it was better being a Vestal Virgin to have been raped by a god than having consensual sex with a human. Whatever the issue, she had two kids. <laughs> or or <laughs> two more of my favorites. Okay. Uh, one, some say Aeneas was born to Creusa in Troy and followed his father all over the place. Others say that he was born to Lavinia. Whatever the case may be, he started Alba Longa. Like, he just screen wipes through shit. Just, yeah. Or, or my or, absolute favorite. Okay. Some people say that Romulus and Remus were nursed by a she-wolf. Okay, yeah, we all know that myth. Right. Others say that because Laurentia's body was common to all the shepherds around, she was called a she-wolf, which is a Latin term for whore. Wow. <laughs> wow. So he's like, you know, it might be supernatural. It might be mundane. No, oh, we well. don't know. Right. Wow. Yeah, so I love it. So so have you read the Foundation series by Arthur C. Clarke? No. Not Clark. Sorry. Foundation is Asimov. Sorry. Um, also, no. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, w- one of the interesting things about Foundation mm-hmm. uh, is is that he specifically name checks mm. as a late imperial period thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, historians who who never who never go to the places that they study archaeologists who oh wow archaeologists who who don't ever actually visit archaeological sites yeah yeah it's 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 a it's a tagged part of psycho history wow. is this is one of the things to look out for yeah um so yeah that's that's he did his research is yeah. what I'm saying so. Speaking of research, yes. Uh, in our last episode, we mm-hmm. were talking about uh, the the influence of uh, agrarian ideas, yes, on the foundations of Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. uh, and especially this paradigm of what happens when you become a fighter at high level. Uh, in in first edition AD and D. Now, it's important for right. me to clarify. Um, as, as time went on, I, I want to talk a little bit about the development of the game from here. This, this was the very beginning of, of the game. Um, when Unearthed Arcana was published in the early 80s, mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what year off the top of my head, I don't have that book in front of me. When that got published, um, fighters, that was when fighters got the ability to specialize with a specific weapon. That was kind of the one bone that got thrown because right. that, that book also introduced the Barbarian class, oh. which did everything fighters did and some other stuff. And the stuff that fighters did, much of it they did better. Okay. Also introduced the Cavalier class, which did everything fighters did and some other stuff on top of that. And then did that same stuff that fighters did better. Mm-hmm. And so the the uh, sop that fighter players got thrown was, hey, now you get to specialize in a weapon. Because fighting is like your thing, 
Mind you, if fighting is the same thing a cavalier does, fighting is the same thing a barbarian does. But anyway, you get to weapon specialize. Yay, you. Uh, and then uh, we're going to give you some tables to use to determine what do your followers look like when they show up. When you build this freehold, you get to roll on a table uh-huh. because everything has to have a dice table in first edition AD&D. Right. Like, you know, you can't just have the DM actually say, okay, here's what you get. No, no, it's got to have a table. we got to randomize everything because Gary Gygax. Um, and, and so that was, that was basically it. Now, second edition kind of still stuck with the same idea, but mm-hmm. everybody who was sort of like a fighter got the ability to get followers. Rangers in second edition got the ability to attract followers. Okay. They didn't get a freehold. That was not part of the process because Rangers don't settle down. Rangers wander the wilderness. I'm sorry. You know, I still don't give a shit about getting Fake property in a fantasy game. Money, money, money. Who do you trust? It's all about income. Okay. It's all about wealth. It's all about power. And it's all about the underlying trappings and the world building involved in it. It's prestige. Okay. Okay. You, you're you the one, as the fighter, you're the one who gets to be a lord at the end of everything. And you get to be the founder of the kingdom that everybody is working toward trying to achieve. Because that's the thing. I guess big swing and a miss for me. Yeah, but well, no, yeah. I get it. I get it. Like, it, yeah, it's very much a product of, like I said last time. Yeah, he's a product of where he grew up. Yeah, he's a product of the ideology that he swam in. Yeah, and it, and it's a prod product of the uh, same idea mm-hmm. that that led to well of of colonial ideas. The idea of of the core idea of colonialism, which mm-hmm. is. You set out, you establish civilization in the benighted wilderness, and you know the idealized view of it is you wander out in the wilderness and you spread the civilizing influence of whatever civilization you're coming from. Right. So in second edition, that's how it grew. In third edition, they do away with the idea of establishing a freehold altogether. Yes. That goes away completely. And everybody gets the ability to attract followers by taking the feat leadership. Oh, yeah. At fourth level. Yeah. You can take the feet. You had to be at least fourth level. Right. You can pick up the feet as part of your advancement process, part of the skills tree. You get leadership at fourth level. Mm-hmm. And that means, okay, now we take your charisma score. Right. Which no longer is completely a dump stat because now you can do this with it. Uh, and and you use that to determine how many henchmen do you get, which is like people who are like, no, no, you're my dude. You know, I'm with you, ride or they're, die. They're basically kind of cow in a jars. Yes. Yeah. Basically. And then... They're, they're there to mini tank for you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so, you know, and, and then different mechanics existed in 4th edition. I haven't actually looked closely at how it works in 5th yet because we haven't gotten anywhere near where right. that's a thing in the campaign we're, we're playing in. Um. But in in the very beginning of the game, this was what made fighters special at high level. Okay. Because, again, wizards gained infinite cosmic power with the wish spell, with with time stop, with all the high-level kind of magical fuckery they could do. Right. Um, Everybody else, you know, druids had the ability to change shape. Well, they, they had the ability to get the spell to allow them to change shape wow. at, this, at this point in the game. 
you know, clerics were the ones that could resurrect anybody when they died. Right. Uh, you know, so other characters get all these supernatural wacky stuff. And as a fighter, you're rooted in the very physical reality of hitting stuff with a sword or an axe or a mace or whatever. And so your your toy mm-hmm. is is followers. You're, you're the one who gets to be the lord. You're the one who gets to be the king right. at the end of everything. What about Thief? Well, again, thieves went into the city and they established themselves as mob bosses, so basically. So they did the urban version. They did the urban version of this. Of now, feudalism. What's, now, what's interesting, and mm-hmm. I didn't bring this up in the last episode is that when a thief establishes a thieves' guild, mm-hmm. they don't get the same constant level of income that you get from establishing a freehold. If oh. I flip here to talking about thieves, um, any thief character of 10th or greater level may use his small castle-type building Oh, I'm sorry, i got to go back a paragraph. Thieves cannot build strongholds as some other classes of characters do. Some other class, we mean fighters. So, They're the only ones. So thieves can't have real estate. Yeah. Hold on. They can, however, build a tower or fortified building of the small castle type for their own safety. But this construction must be within or not more than a mile distant from a town or city. There's zoning laws. Yeah, in D&D. In D&D. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Gary Gygax. Of course he introduced zoning laws. Okay. Okay, so any thief character of 10th or greater level may use his small castle type building to set up a headquarters for a gang of thieves, and he or she will accordingly attract from 4 to 24 other thieves, 4 die 6. However, this will bring the enmity of the local thieves guild, and they will struggle to do away with the rival organization. Once begun, warfare will end only when and if all the master thieves on either or both sides are dead, or if the thief character removes to another locale. Number one, there's the automatic assumption there is a thieves' guild wherever you're setting up. Because it's urban. Because it's urban. By the way, this is all taken straight out of Fritz Lieber. Okay. And Lankmar. Okay. If you want to read a fun set again of, like, there are some, there are some issues in here based on when it was published. That sure. didn't age well. But it's a, they're a really fun set of adventure stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fofford and the Grey Mouse are... It's awesome. Okay. But anyway, this is taken straight out of that. This is also Kugel the Clever and right. the Dying Earth. Um, and like we said, the underlying idea that, you know, it's an urban area, so automatically it's corrupt. So you're automatically going to have a, a mob war and, you know, you're hopefully going to, going to be able to convince your fighter buddy and your other, your other friends from your adventuring days to help you, you know, win it. Uh-huh. This is a campaign hook in the same way that the fighter clearing the area around his stronghold is a campaign hook. That's what mm-hmm. you do for the last couple of levels before you max out in the PHB. Now, notice, when you do that, um, Mm -hmm. it just says there's automatically going to be a gang war, and you have 4 to 24 thieves working for you. It doesn't say anything about having a fixed income. The fighter gets seven silver pieces of fucking head. Right. Like, for everybody who settles in his territory, because happy farmers. This goes back to Rome. This 100% goes back to Rome, and here's why. If you wanted to retire... And you wanted a lot of land, 40 acres, let's say. You have to go out to the provinces, the mm. edges of the provinces. You were a 25-year veteran of the war yeah. under Caesar, um, at least. Yeah. Uh, some people got to retire earlier, but you get the idea. Yeah. So now the province 
border is dotted with people who are really good at fighting those same folk. Yeah. If you didn't want to get 40 acres, if you wanted to be closer to Rome, therefore closer to the center of power, you could get 20 acres inside the borders. Okay. If you wanted to get real close to Rome, maybe 10 acres. If you wanted to take a stipend and just live free in the city, you could do that too. Huh. You know what soldiers are really good at doing in a city? Holding sharp pieces of metal in front of other people and saying, give me all your cash? Yeah, I mean, you can't wear your soldier's garb. <laughs> but you can but wear you a can tunic and have your own dagger and shit like that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, very often, that was what former soldiers did, was they worked for local enforcers. The mafia. Really? Uh-huh. Nice. So, thieves. Urban. Already a rival gang. Very true. They would also hire themselves out to politicians to be rabble-rousers at public uh, events, like trials. Nice. Yeah. In fact, during the trial of Milo, uh, Milo, mm. um, who killed Clodius on the Appian Way, they were both traveling with about 30 uh, gladiators and other slave former, types. Former soldier types. Yep. Um, and they're traveling and then they get into a big skirmish and, and I mean, Milo didn't mean to kill Clodius, but once Clodius got hit in the arm with the spear, he's like, well, fuck, I got to kill him now. Cause if he stays alive, then he's going to be more dangerous. Uh, and then Milo gets put on trial about four days later, Rome burns. Uh, there is a giant, like, yeah, the body of Clodius gets brought back in his wife, Fulvia, like incites the crowd to riot. They then take his body uh, naked as it is, and put it in the uh, curia as the funeral pyre, and they burn the shit down. Wow. This is why Caesar got killed in the Pompeian Theater, by the way, not in the curia. Yeah. So the curia burns down, which is like if, I don't know, like say, I don't know, Bruce Willis gets okay. gets killed by a rival acting gang or something, <laughs> and then everybody's like... <laughs> Fuck that. We're going to take it to the Capitol building. And then they burn down the Senate house. Wow. That's how big that a deal is. So, so then he gets put on trial. Okay. Milo gets put on trial. And Cicero defends him. And Cicero's like, well, yeah, my client killed him. But, you know, he had to. And besides, here's my favorite part of the defense. Clodius was probably fucking his sister. And she's a whore. And then a group of people started singing songs already prepared about how Clodius was banging his sister. Okay, wait. And then they all started spitting at each other. And then, like, Pompey had to leave because it was turning into a riot. And I think Cicero got thrown off the rostrum. Uh, was, okay, wait. And then a few up. days later, they, they finished the trial. Yes? Wait, back up. Sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You wait. lost me at the point where Cicero... Yes. Who is one of these people that we point to in the Western canon uh -huh. as, you know, the king of, of rhetoric. Oration. yeah. Um, resorted to, he was having carnal relations with his sister. Yeah, yeah. Because she's like, hot. Really? Yeah, and she's older. So, I mean, obviously, ipso facto. Right. You know, to engage in a little of my ipso own dog facto. Latin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I so they, I wink wink nudge nudge I I say no more. So clearly she's little, a goer. Eh? 
just to go a little further. Yeah. Uh, Cicero. Be. Yes. <laughs> just because you'll love the end okay. of this. Cicero uh, had to be killed for the second triumvirate to work. Mark Antony said, I ain't joining unless he's unless on the dead Cicero, list. Yeah. Augustus okay. reluctantly agreed. Uh, and Cicero gets killed. Now, Mark Antony hated Cicero. Cicero hated Mark Antony. Uh, Mark Antony at one point promised Cicero, I will nail your hands to the Curia door. Oh, no. So he did. They also brought back his head. Fuck, seriously? Yeah, no, he's dead already. I know, but but like went to the trouble to presumably have somebody cut his hands off. Yeah, actually Mark Antony might have been the one to do it. I don't know. He, He was a brutish man. So here's, okay, I'm here's, just saying yeah. when we're talking about Romans singling yep. anybody out as a brutish man, yes, means something. Yes, it does. I'm going to point out again: these are people who thought that a public execution was a good day out. Yes. Wow. So the best <sighs> Holy part. Crap. They also removed his head. It was placed in the forum. Clodius's wife Fulvia. Oh, no. Goes up to his head. Oh no! Takes out her hairpins and stabs his tongue. Wow! Yeah. So anyway, the civilization that we point to is the pinnacle of the founding of Western civilization, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. But wow! Yeah, if you were in the city, you were potentially Clearly, a thief. Potentially. With your skills. Yeah. Whereas if you were in the country, you were a respected yeoman, yeoman farmer. Mm-hmm. All right, so, wow, holy crap! So, so that idea, yes, of of the corruption of of the urban and uh-huh. the respectability of the yeoman and all that carries from the Romans all the way up through you know the founding of the Republic. We talked in the last episode about you know Jefferson and Hamilton, or not mm-hmm. Hamilton, Madison, I should say, not Hamilton. No, not Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Jefferson, Madison, Washington, yeah, to a lesser extent. Washington was not as loud about it, but mm-hmm. but the ideology that they all carried was the yeoman farmer is the foundational figure of right. a successful Republican small R Republican government. Horace wrote about this in his satire. Yeah, and 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 they and they were all actively, constantly looking back to the Roman Republic mm-hmm. as you know the model for everything they did. That's the reason. All of our government architecture looks the way it yeah. does. You know. It's the story of the town mouse and the country mouse. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, very much. So, um, so, and as I pointed out at the very end of our last episode, this mm-hmm. this uh, is also a regional division right. between the urbanized uh, uh, mer- mercantile north and the agricultural slave-owning south. It's part of what drove the sectionalism that eventually led to secession. Mm-hmm. And this ideology, this 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 uh, holding farmers on a pedestal, uh, drove government policy for centuries. Well, maybe not centuries, but many decades. Uh-huh. Uh huh. To start with, as you mentioned at the very end of our last episode, Jefferson made the Louisiana Purchase. Yes. Specifically to secure a vast area for the nation to expand westward. Precisely because he saw it as vital to the Republic's survival. Mm-hmm. He was convinced that if the nation was not able to expand, right. that it would automatically, inevitably, descend into urbanized despotism. Mm-hmm. That, Specifically urbanized. Yes, yes. I, I just really want to 
pound that home. No. Yeah. The thief, the is dishonest the one you can't trust, is, is the in the thief. city. Yeah. 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 And he probably winds up taking his ill-gotten gains and founds a bank. Right. Because, uh, holy crap, the only you way can't that... trust bankers. Right. And by the way, who died in debt? Uh, let me think. Jefferson? Uh, Jefferson. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, bankers suck, clearly. Right. They're the problem. Right. They're totally the problem. Not the fact that he didn't know how to run his business affairs to save his goddamn Wait, life. How how shitty a person do you have to be that we're standing for bankers? <laughs> I know. We. We <laughs> yeah. are standing for Us. bankers right now. Yeah. So, yeah. No, yeah. Um. So, so the Louisiana Purchase is the mm-hmm. first most obvious example of this as policy. I talked about the revolution right. as being the very beginning of this. I mean, we can't say it's policy because there wasn't anybody to make it really policy, but, you know, it, it was the motive. Um, and now we, we get to talk about uh, our, our other favorite president. Whose last name begins with a J? Oh, I know who this is. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. one of he's the first Western president. Yes, um, he set up Latifundia, but pretended to be a commoner. Yeah, uh, he had, uh, I think, the most slaves out of all the presidents that we had up to that point. You know that I don't know. Pretty close. I okay. know he had somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred something. Holy moly! Uh, I think I want to say two ten, but uh, okay. Uh, uh, you know what? Um, those of you out <coughs> there in the Twitter world. Um, feel free yeah. to get at me um, at Duh Harmony on Twitter and yep. and correct me. Yeah. Um, or at Geek History Time uh, and and please correct me. Yeah. But yeah, he had over two hundred slaves uh, and uh, the only president to ever be a prisoner of war. Yeah. Yeah. He was the only president to have been captured. This is true. And I like presidents who weren't captured. Oh, weird. Oddly enough. So, uh, so yeah, and the one who said, you know, uh, wipe them all out <laughs> yeah, as national policy. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so we are, of course, talking about Andy Jackson um, and the policies that have been obliquely already referred to uh-huh. are the Indian Removal Act, which led to the Trail of Tears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was carried out specifically to clear land for white settlers to take ownership of it and expand this independent landowning class. Never mind the fact, of course, that the Cherokee were themselves essentially already yeoman farmers. Right. Like, and better at it than the people who moved into their territory. They literally like had they home had, field advantage. They, they, well, yeah, and and they, they had actually adopted scientific methods for mm-hmm. farming. Like, they'd figured out how to do it better. Yep. Yeah, so, um, and then, going farther forward, westward expansion across the Mississippi onto the Great Plains, and up until the close of the frontier, mm-hmm. all of it, so 1896. Was, 1896, was just D&D fighter advancement written on a massive scale. <laughs> Every single one of these guys, in his own head, is that ninth level fighter heading yeah. out, setting up his, his freehold. Literally, freehold, I mean, that was the term in many cases they were used, that they used. Find a patch of land, cut down the trees, drive off the natives and the wolves, and plant a farm, growing wheat, corn, whatever it is in that part of the country. The Mexican War Mm. uh, was was a land grab. It was a territory grab. Wait, wait, wait. Ronald Reagan said we never fought a war for territory, though. Yeah, well, Reagan probably got C-minuses in history. That's a good point. 
I'm just saying. Yeah. I you know. Yeah. Um we we did. <laughs> we did. Uh <laughs> uh we we owned we owned Cuba for a very short period of time mm-hmm. and we owned the Philippines for a slightly longer period of time. Yep. On a historical scale slightly. Um and so the Mexican War mm-hmm. was what got us California. Mm-hmm. What got us Texas. I'm just saying. Yep. And now that specifically, of course, was uh, very much driven by tension over slavery. Right. Because by that time we had the uh, Mason-Dixon line having been established. And so it needed to be territory far enough south that, mm-hmm. you know, the the landowning class that were descended from Jefferson right. could have slaves on the land that they were now uh, wanted wanted to take. Because, again, they're just yeoman farmers writ large. Right. No, they're not. But anyway. No, no, it's just a matter of scale. I just mean, totally a you matter know, of scale. Yeah, it, and, you know, human bondage. Yeah. Well, you know. I don't want to king shame. And and, <laughs> and and an economic system built on, you know, ownership. Chattel slavery. Yeah. yeah well, well, okay. Yeah, now that's you, all it is. Now you're nitpicking. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Wait, pretty, so pretty, again, you still see the same tension that Jefferson was talking about, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like he was talking about that tension because... That system creates that tension. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, go back to the Romans again. Yeah. And that system you, does create that you, tension. You ever need expansion. Yeah. Any any colonial kind of system, mm-hmm. unless it figures out how not to be a colonial system, when it stops expanding, it's going to wind up folding in on itself. That's what happened to the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. That's the reason. With a few hiccups of reasonable leaders actually saying, whoa, 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 let's pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. Well, yeah. 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 Now, I I will say this. Um, Rome, prior to the accidental inheritance of the Carthage uh, Empire. (laughs) Okay. Prior to that. Yeah. They were doing pretty well with yeoman farming. But that's not to say that they hadn't expanded for the first several hundred years. They had. They had oh, they the, totally the, the Italian wars, the, yeah. the you know Sicily, yeah. all that. Like they, well, they now, took over the ideologically to them, the big deal with the Italian wars was mm-hmm. if we don't kill off the Celts, the Celts are going to kill all of us off because and, they had a very primal, yeah, like identitarian existential kind of fear and a legit one too. They'd I, been sacked in the four hundred. Oh, oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm, so not, I'm not arguing yeah. against it. I'm just they saying kept, that was, that was it, a big it, part. They of kept it. fighting with their neighbors because that's what happened in the boot of Italy at that time. That just was how yeah. shit happened, and they kept well, winning. Well, and that's the way the Iron Age worked for basically everybody. Yeah, I mean, and they kept know, winning. Yeah, and but but you don't see a shift in the farming in Rome. Until they defeat the Carthaginians. Because then you have an influx of about 150,000 slaves. And so the rich get a lot richer. And oh, yeah. They well, start, overnight. Yeah, yeah. Because that, they that got, kind of influx of exactly. random capital. Yeah. So, so America is is not... It, it skipped over that part. Like, yeah. Like you had stable... You had yeah. stable yeomanry yeah. in Rome for a few hundred years. That's that's the the stuff that Horace was looking back to. That's what Livy was looking back to. That's the Rome was great back when we were poor mm-hmm. that Livy specifically says. Okay. Um and Jefferson cribbed that without actually doing the work for it. And <laughs> well, Jackson he, 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 jumped from there. Yeah. Like none of them actually had there there was not a time where America was just small farmers. 
You could say no. they were up in, in the north. Interestingly enough, you could say, if you're talking about the rural countryside of, mm-hmm. of Massachusetts, of right. Vermont, of... And places near free, cities. Free states and places near cities. Places near you, cities were, nece- by necessity, by small necessity, farms. small farms. You could say that. Yeah. But you, if you were a plantation owner, you had a vested interest in not noticing that. And in expanding. Yes, and and an expansion because that was your economic model for survival. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the Homestead Act, yes, uh, allowed settlers to take ownership of land they essentially squatted on and improved. You know, it's important to note that the definition of improved was changing prairie into farmland. Mm-hmm. Cut down, cut down mm-hmm. the native grass, cut down the trees, level it all out, right. irrigate it if you got to. If you can and, keep it and, for, what is it, a year and a day I or something like that? I want to say it was some, some specific span yeah. of time. And uh, then the promise made to freedmen in the wake of the Civil War, mm-hmm. 40 acres and a mule, mm-hmm. is tied to the same idea. Now, in this case, it's being pushed by the Republic, the radical Republican Congress as part of Reconstruction, we have to take all these people who have been kept in a state of no education, kept in a state right. of bondage, kept, you know, we need to turn them into reliable citizens. How do we do that? We give them land. We'll back it up just we a hair. Make them, we make them free farm. We make them yeoman. Back it up just a hair. That was Jefferson's... Um, Approach towards civilize quote finger quote civilizing the Indians. Yeah, give them land, which is ironic, uh-huh. uh, but make them farmers. Also ironic, uh, but uh, it's the exact. It's kind of like we have people who aren't white that we've dispossessed for generations. How do we deal with it? Fuck, we'll give them land. Yes, how much? Uh, how much works for us? Uh, that much. Okay, good. Like that seems to be. It's kind of like in in um, the Odyssey. Uh, and the Trojan War, mm-hmm. Odysseus had the plan of hiding in the belly of the, the Trojan horse. Yeah. Later on, when he's trying to escape from Polyphemus, he has the idea of hiding under the bellies of larger animals. He really was a one-trick pony. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Scrofulent. <laughs> Middenkeeper. But in terms of like that, that seems to be America's one solution. Yeah, it's well, yeah, baked into the culture. Yeah, well, which yeah, it's baked into the culture because we yep. had Jefferson as one of our founding fathers, right? And because Jefferson was cribbing all of this from a bunch of ideas from the Enlightenment and taken from the fact that he was himself the descendant of a second son coming from the aristocracy mm-hmm. in England, where what separated you from the peasants was you owned the land that the peasants were working on, right? You know. And, I mean, I can get more into feudalism and say that, you know, we then come back around to our D&D fighter because the argument was, why do you own the land? Because I'm the one with the weapons and the armor to defend it. By the way, Edward Gibbon's uh, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire was published between 1776 and 1788, I want to say. Yeah. You know, right around the time where we're coming up with national policy. Oh, yeah. Well, and and Jefferson is known to have been a fan of Gibbon. Yeah. No, we know he was reading the Holy Daylights at everything Gibbon put out. We know right. that the other founding fathers were reading everything, you know, because they were consciously, much like folks in the Renaissance had done, in the Enlightenment, yep. they were looking back to the Romans. And in, in the case of the founders, they were looking at the Roman Republic 
and anything related to the Roman Republic mm-hmm. as, as their inspiration. And so they had this glowing, soft focus, <laughs> smear some Vaseline over the lens kind of kind of yeah. view of, of what those systems had been, because again, Livy never saw primary sources. Uh, right. You know, didn't didn't <laughs> never 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 talk to an eyewitness he liked. And so, you know, they they had this very very pronouncedly idealized view of this. Mm-hmm. And then this this then got picked up as this is how we're going to maintain an honest, virtuous republic right. going forward. And when that is the rootstock that you're growing your tree from, right. the fruit that you're going to get at the end, even if you graft something else on there, the fruit or nuts, well nuts in the case of our country <laughs> lots of nuts that you're going to get at the end is is going to be affected there's going to be terroir and i know i'm mispronouncing the french there but you know mm-hmm. it's it's the reason you plant roses at the end of a row of, of uh, uh grapevines for wine is because the rootstock affects oh. the soil which affects what goes into the grapes which affects the aroma sure. and everything that happens in the wine it's it's a thing like it sounds like pseudoscience but it's demonstrably a thing. Is that what rosé is? No. Okay. No, that's that's a blend of red and whites. Oh. Basically. One so, of us doesn't drink. Can no, you tell yeah, who it can is? Can you tell who it is? And the <laughs> other one and the other one is is married to a wine drinker cuz one of us one of us is a beer guy but I'm wine adjacent. So, you know, I genuinely coming coming back around to what we were talking about at the end of of, of the last episode. Um, the fighter, or actually first at, at the beginning of the last episode, the fighter is the most blood simple of all of the classes in right. basic D&D or, or in AD&D. Uh, it has the least stringent stat requirements, mm-hmm. gets absolutely the fewest toys and abilities. Like if, if you're going to have somebody who's never played the game before ever you always give them show a up, it's like, here's a fighter. Just when it comes time, mm-hmm. we'll tell you what to do when it comes time to when your turn comes around. Here's how we do stuff. Because they don't need to worry about spells. They don't need to worry about, you know, rolling right. percentile dice, which kind of takes a little bit of a learning curve to get mm-hmm. used to how that works. There's none of that going on. It's just there are monsters, run up and hit them. Right. Right? So. Um, it's a very democratized class. Yeah. and, and Anyone can do it. Yeah. And it only takes up, I'm, I'm going to show you the book here. Yeah. This right here, I'm page twenty-two of the of the first edition AD and D Player's Handbook. Uh, this is a re, this is a recent reprint, but but all the formatting is exactly the same. It only takes up less than half of one page of page twenty-two in the book, and that's including the level advancement chart. It's got five paragraphs. One of them has a two sub paragraphs to it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, it is followed immediately by the Paladin, which starts on page 22, gets a full-page splash, one of the most iconic illustrations oh, out of the yeah. PHB, a Paladin in Hell, on page 23, and then goes on to page 24 Yeah. Uh, before, you know, ending, and then you get the Ranger next. Uh, so, you know, it, it is... It, it gets it gets it gets nothing. It's bare-boned, yeah. But it gets this automatically get-rich-at-this-level mechanic nobody else gets that paladins don't get it because right. paladins are holy warriors who aren't allowed to have excess wealth uh but thieves who you'd think like 
if there's any class, uh, get when you quick. get to a high level, it's like, okay, look, your whole your whole class is about wealth acquisition. Right. You know, uh, one of my friends who, who like to make fun of me, because again, if you're going to play a thief, call it a thief. Don't say rogue. Uh, one of the guys in a, in a campaign I played in uh, liked to refer to himself as a wealth reallocation engineer. <laughs> Which I'm okay with that. It's it's really technical and flowery and sounds like a euphemism, but at least it's it's straight. It's honest. Yeah. Um. And it, and you'd think they would get that. You'd think being a thief, mm-hmm. you're gonna form a gang. We're just gonna make this simple and say you're gonna get X number X amount of income a month because you've got cut purses working for you they got to give you a cut or you'll send one of your former right one of your former soldier employees to go right. break their legs you know to bring the romans back into it well and, and the whole reason you know, for being for a thief was like you said wealth acquisition yeah what do i do oh I, you see jewels encrusted on the wall i steal some i'm picking like, them out i got a dagger i'm picking them out of the wall right and it's like what what purpose does that serve in the game it really doesn't yeah other than to engage in the economy more. And, yeah. And, you know. Well, yeah. And, you know, you get the ability to backstab. Yeah. And, you know, you're 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 the, in, in first edition AD&D, your whole thing is you are the skills guy. You know, uh, monks didn't open doors in first edition. Oh, wow. Thieves, thieves How'd they get doors. anywhere? Yeah, well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm referencing an in-joke from, from <laughs> other campaigns that Damien has played in that I've heard about. Ugh. <laughs> Or other games anyway. 3.0. Yeah. Oh. What? <laughs> what am I what are you gonna play? I'm gonna play a monk. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I open the door, run through it, and close it. Sorry, you got to the door. You're gonna have to wait a whole round to open it. Okay. Because I open the door. I walk through and take a partial action. Yeah. Yeah. I open the door, <clears throat> I walk through, and I close it next turn. Well, you can open the door and walk through it. But you can't close it until the next round. Because that's an action. Right. Okay. The next round, I close it. All right, and then your friend gets to the door. I open the door, grab him, and then close it. Can't do that. You're going to have to wait. Son All right, I open the door, I grab God. my friend, yeah. and I close it. No, you don't. So what do monks do? Oh, after that, we every time doors. you had a big bad evil guy, all of his butlers were monks. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Yeah. That's funny. I yeah. like that. So... You know, the, the thief is the skills guy. The wizard gets infinite cosmic power. The cleric is the guy you run to when you get smacked over the head. The fighter mm-hmm. hits things over the head. Yep. And, totally and, fall. And, and then, mm-hmm. at high level, mm-hmm. has this, I automatically get rich because I, I don't have anything else going for me kind of mechanic. Right. Um, you know, thieves can establish a gang, but there's no guaranteed amount of income. Like, I can't harp on this quite enough. Right. Gygax didn't write thieves with a with an automatic amount of income. Well, markets are fickle. Well, yes. But, you know, so are harvests. So are, you know, taxation. Taxation fluctuates from year to year. Yeah. On, and, and if yeah. we're going to go under the assumption that you are a benevolent dictator uh-huh. over your happy farmers, uh-huh. if the harvest isn't any good and you're still charging them seven silver pieces a head, you're kind of a dick. Yeah. Just saying. You're literally rent-seeking. You're you, literally, <laughs> yes. Well, and, and again, all your power stems from your ability to hit shit. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. 
there's there's see again this is like and again you know you were saying you know who who wants to go poke holes and all this mm-hmm. come on it's a decimal system for money why do you got to go get like that right there are plenty of other people who are right now listening to us talk about this going why do you have to get all morally philosophical come on for god's sake just it's hit game. dragons man like, i just want to go beat up dragons well you know dragons are intelligent beings i'm just gonna say <laughs> this is not untrue you know yeah. and and so you know you're you're killing a sentient creature mm-hmm. there you know and you invaded its house and you and you showed up in its home it has the right to stand its ground specifically to steal all of its shit mm-hmm. and yes it does have the right to stand its ground you know, so I mean, yeah, we can, we can, yeah. we can, we can get into you know how ethical is murder hobo and really, uh, you know. But this game clearly has has set up fight privilege. Well, yeah, clearly. Wait, except that you wind up being the guy with all the privilege. Wait, oh my god, it's making a philosophical statement about the wheel of revolution, and oh my <laughs> god. This just got a lot deeper. No, really, it, it isn't. <laughs> it can be yeah. uh, if you're pointy-headed like we are. But, you know, um, what what I come back to here in my notes, which yeah. you already brought up, is, is that idea, that inherent idea of virtue. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the assumption that Gygax is making, mm-hmm. just in the way this is just this matter of fact, okay, look, you're going to get seven silver pieces ahead from all these people. You know, figure out roughly how many people it's going to be between you and your DM. You know, right. And here's how it works. And, of course, the whole game is built around the idea that you are the good guy. Right. Unless you intentionally decide you're going to be a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And Gygax had very pointed opinions about trying to run an evil party. He said it doesn't work. If you're playing true to your alignment, you can't actually make it work. Because evil is all, you know, consumes itself. And right. if you're all evil, you're going to stab each other in the back, murder each other, whatever. You can't you can't hang together. Right. Now, it's interesting to note that one of the iconic characters from the beginning of the game, mm-hmm. Lord Robilar, who his name shows up in a number of magical items from the DMG. Because, okay. uh, uh, but anyway, Lord Robilar mm-hmm. was lawful evil. And was known at mm-hmm. higher level for getting through dungeons... <laughs> through liberal uh, use of of hirelings as cannon fodder. Oh lord! He was he was the first player to figure out. Okay, wait. So hold on. According to what you're telling me, I can hire guys to act as tanks for me mm-hmm. for this many silver pieces a day per head. Right? right? Silver piece a day per head. Right? Okay. Okay. Figure out my income. How much money have I got in reserve? Okay. All right, so based on what I know about what we're going up against, I can afford to lose 20 guys. Wow. Like, did the math, and no, 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 we're getting through this dungeon. It's just a question of how much capital am I going to lose on the way? (laughs) You know, and by capital, I mean how many mercenaries' lives am I going to spend? Right. And since it's my expenditure, I get first pick of the treasure. Well, yeah. Predatory capitalism. Well, yeah. Yeah, end end stage capitalism. Yep, envisioned in a fantasy game. So, and and that's that's pretty much. I mean, where 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 this all ends up? Yeah, is this this very clearly the world building has these assumptions baked into it? Right. This is another one of those cases of walking into a room and going, "Wait, that's the pattern on the wallpaper." Mm-hmm. For me, yeah. You know, when we started talking about doing the podcast, sure. Trying to think of what can I connect to what, 
at first this was something that was like, well, it sounds pretty pointy headed and, and like a lot of a stretch. Mm-hmm. But the more I researched what agrarianism was, how it worked historically, and then really just looked at what's on the page. Mm-hmm. It's one of those, it's again, one of those kind of slender man moments. Wait, he was hiding in the closet the whole time, you know, kind of, kind of things. Right. And, and like I said last time, and, and like you've been at pains to point out, like making that leap before me, um, this is a regional thing. This is right. a very American thing. I didn't, in my notes, I didn't go so far as to say regional. I think there is something too regional. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I think at its, at its very basis, this is a very American game because we are, we are the biggest example of, the most successful example mm-hmm. of a colonial nation. Mm-hmm. Becoming a republic, and then having to take that colonial nature and then run with it. Yeah. yeah, and and the way that colonialism gets gets expressed, that idea that you go out into the wilderness, this is what you do, and you get an income and you spread civilization, and the underlying assumption is this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because this was an era of popular fantasy before we started thinking about, well, you know, orcs are people too, which is another episode I have in mind that I'm going to rant about, and I'm not going to come down on the side you might think from the way we're talking in this episode. Okay. But anyway, um, this this was, no, no, they're orcs, you hit them over the head, they die, they're there to be the disposable army of evil. Right. And that's it. And so, you know, going out and driving them out of the area and letting, you know, civilized, settled humans and halflings and dwarves and maybe a couple of elves show up and settle and do this mm-hmm. is inherently a good thing, you know. Yeah. Is is this very American, very frontier it's manifest, mentality. It's manifest, it's manifest destiny. destiny. Yeah. yeah. So... That's that's my thesis. That that is that is the closure of my thesis. And I just wonder if if Gygax had been a European, mm-hmm. if he'd been English, if his attitude toward this this kind of thing would have been the same, mm-hmm. or how different it would have been. Because, again, of course, Great Britain was the, the largest of all of the imperial powers. Right. So, like, how would that have looked differently? If he had been German, how yeah. profoundly would it have been different? If if he had not been a middle-class white guy, which historically having the ability to spend the time and the effort to develop this hobby into right, this right. business means he would have had to be. But if, if he'd come from any other kind of background, right. how would this have looked different? And it's interesting to note that a lot of the games that we've played since AD&D have mm-hmm. been written by people from different backgrounds. That's true. From a European outlook, from a millennial outlook in mm-hmm. the last few years, from you know other other... There have been other lenses pointed at these same kinds of ideas, and they've all, in one way or another, been reacting to what he what, what Gygax and Arneson, yeah. although Arneson didn't come up with this mechanic, so I'm not picking on him today, mm-hmm. but, but they're all reacting to this. And so this is an inescapable part of, of geek 
culture. Right. That if you we play all, a tabletop game, yeah, this this you're is responding this, to this. one way or another. Somehow, there's some part of what you're doing that is some kind of reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And and again, it's the pattern on the wallpaper. It's it's the water we're swimming in as fish. Yeah. And so there you go. So the logical outcropping ends up being if you're a fighter and the whole point of being a fighter is to fight it's in mm. the name yeah and to overcome and essentially to dominate yes and so the end game for the fighter and it wasn't quite the end game because you could get to level 11 yeah but the end game and i assume level 11 is just like better versions of being a lord um yeah essentially but the end game for being a fighter was one of dominion one of domination uh and of dominating essentially nameless faceless masses yes well npcs (laughs) and and, at this at this stage of the development of the hobby npcs Mm -hmm. don't matter right and npcs are props right for you know whatever whatever gets you to the next combat encounter Mm -hmm. so So the faceless part, I think, is worth is worth consideration, but I think it's 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 just that again, it's a default part of the mm-hmm. of, of the rest of 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 the the level of the art right. at this point in right. its history. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, um, I'm just I'm just thinking about like. What it took to be a far a farmer, mm-hmm. a yeoman farmer, and there were all kinds of efforts to allow any squatters that chance. Yeah, there were all kinds of programs set up to encourage people to go do it. Yeah, there were all sorts of avenues of entry to to that in the history of our oh, yeah. country in the in the early nascent part, at least. Almost all of it involved taking land from someone else or or finally using the land that had been taken from someone else. Yeah. And you had to go through a certain period of time of being impoverished before you could get to it. Yeah. And then I think about being a fighter, it has the lowest requirements of any of the requirements. Mm-hmm. Long as you have a nine strength, you can do this. Yeah. Both of those are inherently democratic. Yeah. Um, both of those are inherently egalitarian. Yeah. And yet both of those are just like the... The stepping stone to elitism. Yeah. Now, something I want to I I point out, yeah. and I think, I think this gets overlooked... Mm-hmm. In discussions of our American mentality mm-hmm. about the frontier, um, we we know now from the historical record mm-hmm. that the land that your ancestors and mine expanded onto across the continent as right. a couple of white guys had been the property of other people yeah. before us. But our perception of it is moving out into the trackless wilderness. Right. And the reason for that is because um, 
the Native American population had been so vastly decimated yes. by disease mm-hmm. before Englishmen showed up on the continent. Yeah. Yeah, wiped out like 95%. 95, of them. 95 plus percent. Enormous plague. And the and the survivors were living in what for them was a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was it was essentially it was it was the 17th century version of Mad Max mm-hmm. for them. Right. You know, because all of the all of the prior social structures they'd had had completely fallen apart just yeah. because of the massive mortality. Mm-hmm. And they were a, you know, desperate struggling group of survivors and and so you know the perception of you know when the pilgrims moved out into into the forests Mm -hmm. and when the other people in the north moved out into the forests and when folks in the south moved and established plantations on whatever land they did to them it was just empty land lying around not being used Mm -hmm. you know and the people who had a claim to it Mm -hmm were were different enough that that yeah. you know they they you know I mean we can get into the to the the othering of the people who were there before but there's a very big part of the mentality was just well there's nobody using it right so it's the wilderness so it's right. not like we're stealing mm-hmm. and and again we get back to this mentality of well moving out there and doing this is is a good thing right we're you know by and, virtue of your virtue, you will yeah. Do by it. virtue of your virtue, yeah. I love that phrase. That's a good mm-hmm. one. Um, you know, and and so I think that that bears mentioning as part of this discussion when we're when we're talking about that. I like it. Yeah, I like it. So now, ultimately, the end of all of it. Yes. Having gone over all of that, mm-hmm. and having again revisited the stuff that was our takeaway mm-hmm. at the end last time mm-hmm. is there any any elaboration on that or any new anything you you take away from it now hmm. thinking about it specifically in light maybe of of the specific policies that were enacted or whatever just to throw something yeah. out there you know i just i think on. yeah i think of oklahoma <laughs> okay you know i, I think i of, try not to yeah well my grandmother's from there sure and i think of the sooners okay as modern day mm-hmm. or you know latter yeah uh, yeah, yeah. I, modern era yeah yeah um i think of yeah the people who squatted yeah like you were saying Homestead uh, act yeah um, I think of that kind of stuff as absolutely, and again, those would those areas would have influenced Gary Gygax mm-hmm. culturally. Uh, would have been a part of the local imagination, definitely. Um, and yeah, I think that uh, I'm curious as to comparing that first ed to fifth ed because 5e doesn't really talk about property at all i mean hell it barely talks about having a mount yeah you know it's really become a footman's game um yeah and there's nothing wrong with that uh but it's it's much and of course it's a very different game but it has none of that stuff to it there's a few tables of things to buy as you pass through town but now it's much more the gig economy. 
in 5e. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, there. so there's a generational element to it as well. Yes. Uh, fifth edition is, uh, you know, you and I are both Xers. Mm-hmm. Late Xers, but Xers nonetheless. Yep. The guy's writing the people, because mm-hmm. it's not just men, but the people writing fifth edition are enough years younger than the two of us that they're millennials. Yeah. They're they're probably older millennials, yeah. but they're they're part of they're part of a newer generation. Yes, they are. Uh, for whom the economic assumptions are different. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that's a meaningful argument and that's probably something one of us ought to take a look at and delve into <laughs> uh, as as you know looking at the development of the editions over time. I think that'd be that'd be that something be cool. something to look at for sure. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll let you do that cuz I'm doing okay. a, a wrestling over time compared to friends. Right. It's going to be a long time before I have a podcast for it cuz I'm in <laughs> 1996. Jesus. I started in 1983. And nobody patriot affiliates. <laughs> yeah, there's some really good wrestling through the whole thing. And, I'm and, sure. And in fairness, Friends didn't start until '94. Yeah. So I mean, so, you know, yeah, you know yeah. I'm, I'm, but it's, it's, it's a fun well, thing. Well, the, the so, wrestling, the wrestling, you're, you're having more fun watching the wrestling than, yeah. than Friends. Yeah. So, Although yeah. there are decided shifts that are happening. Oh, I'm sure. That well, we've talked about predict it. politics now, all the way back in '96, in the wrestling, and in Friends. Really. Yeah, but that's going to be for another podcast. But I like the idea of a longevity study between the different editions. Like I said, there was a good amount of um, simulationism going on. And 3.0 and 3.5 was a great way to turn the simulationism into a game. Yeah. But it was still simulative. It was heavily simulative. And then I think when... I think, honestly, a great episode would be like the edition wars. Oh yeah, you know I look well, forward to hearing now that, from you. Now that now that we talked about it, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to sit down and do it. That sounds good. So, well, in the meantime, uh, where can people find you to yell at you about how wrong you were about uh, all not, of this? Not ever mentioning Thacko. <laughs> you know, I liked Thacko. <laughs> uh, second, I have fond memories of Second Edition. I liked Thacko a lot. Uh, they can reach me at uh, e h blaylock on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, they can reach both of us mm-hmm. at Geek History Time. Yep. On Twitter, and they can reach you at Duh Harmony. Duh Harmony. Harmony. At on Twitter. All right. So yeah, you can find me in these streets. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can go to our website. Yes. www.geekhistorytime.com. Yep. Um, I don't know if we have a comments. Option There's a comments option. There is a comments option set up. Nobody's yeah. nobody's used it yet. Yep. Feel free to be the first. Be the first. Uh, and if you're the first, I will make sure that you are entered into a raffle when you get to heaven. Wait. What? Uh, no. There's been a whole reformation about that. Okay. Uh, you, you can can't have, do tell that. you what you can you can and also you're the atheist at the table. So right. what the hell. <laughs> I'm the Catholic. Stop working my side of the street. Fair. All right. I tried, people. So you'll just I'll make I'll make sure to have a a a a novum uh, said said for you if you're the first one. You're really not going to indulge me on this. I I just did. I uh, no. No, (laughs) Not even. Not even. 
All right. Well, oh, man. for geek history, uh, for a geek history of time, I am Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And keep rolling 20s. Un- unless you're going after my Thacko, in which case, roll a one.